Let's turn to Psalm 3. This evening we're looking at verses 5 and 6 in Psalm 3. King David had fled from his son Absalom, who had stolen the hearts of the people, and then he was declared king of Israel. When David fled, he was thought by others to be forsaken by God. And so in verse 2 he said, Many be they which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. However, the reality was very different in that the Lord was a shield for him, the Lord was his glory, and the Lord was the lifter up of his head. As you read through the psalm, you see these things. Today, looking at verses 5 and 6, it is written, I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of thousands, of, of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. In verse 5, let's not forget what was going on here. King David had fled not just from his kingdom, but he fled for his life. If ever there was a time to be on his guard and to be ready for battle, surely that was the time Even so, with the Lord as David's shield, David lay himself down and slept. That's what we read in verse 5. I laid me down and slept. Albeit probably under the shelter of a tree or perhaps in a cave somewhere and not in his palace in Jerusalem. However, even though David slept on the desert floor and not in his king-sized bed, He slept under the shadow of the Almighty, who was his refuge, his fortress, and his God, in whom he trusted. As such, David was able to lay himself down and sleep, despite everything. Surely that must be a picture of peace, perfect peace. Are you getting the, are you, are you picturing this? David on the run. And yet he says here, I laid me down and slept. Ordinarily you think, well, so what? (laughs) We're all going to do that later on this evening. But this was a big deal for David at the time, laying himself down and sleeping. In Psalm 23, David wrote about the Lord making him lie down in green pastures and leading him beside the still waters. But don't imagine, when you read Psalm 23, don't imagine that you would need to literally be um, near green pastures, near to still waters to experience the, the peace that is depicted in the words of Psalm 23. You could be in a high-rise flat in a busy city or in the dentist chair or on the table in an operating theatre or in a war zone with missiles whistling over your head, or you could be about to have your head removed by an Islamist, a Muslim terrorist, or whatever, and still experience that peace that David experienced in Psalm 23 and here in Psalm 3. 
David's terrible situation where he was nevertheless still able to lay himself, lie himself down and sleep despite being on the run reminds me of one of my children's talks which is about an art competition where the artists had to paint a picture of peace. Sure enough, some excellent colourful landscapes, green pastures, quiet waters and such like were produced. However, the winner painted a picture entitled Peace in the Midst of the Storm. At first glance, the painting looked anything but peaceful, Black clouds and lightning covered the sky. Waves crashed down a ragged, uh, sorry, a jagged, rocky hillside with raging waters below. How could that ever be described as peaceful? However, barely noticeable and just beneath the waterfalls, there was a little bird in her nest with her babies, her babes, her chicks under her wings tucked underneath the edge of a rock in the midst of the waterfall, protected by a rock. In the midst of that giant storm, that little bird had found an ideal sanctuary, a safe place to rest with her brood. Safe from predators, safe from everything. In Psalm 3 and verse 5, Whether or not David was literally lying down in green pastures beside still waters is not the point. The point is that the Lord was his refuge and his peace in the midst of a terrible storm. Just look at what David said about the Lord in Psalm 18 and verse 2. Psalm 18 verse 2. It's another psalm of David and he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. When we understand that, perhaps we understand why David was able to say, I laid me down and slept. When Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, he said to them, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What this means is that if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he is your rock. And he is your peace. As your good shepherd, Jesus makes you lie down in green pastures where you can sleep peacefully, even in the midst of the storms of life. Let's have a look at verse 5 again. I laid me down and slept. It, It then goes on to say, I awaked. For the Lord sustained me. I awaked. For the Lord sustained me. Ordinarily, when you go to sleep, like tonight, when you lay yourself down and you go to sleep, you kind of expect to wake up in the morning. You almost take it for granted 
that you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, although you know, or at least you ought to know, that you could actually die in your sleep. David had every reason not to take it for granted that he would wake up from his sleep. For example, his enemies could have sprung an attack on his camp and they could have killed him. Therefore, when David said, I await for the Lord sustained me, that was a tremendous statement of faith in the Lord because he was saying that despite everything that was going on, the Lord had granted him another new day and new opportunities to glorify the Lord, to serve him, to glorify him, instead of the Lord simply allowing him to die or be killed in his sleep. By the way, we needn't imagine that when David lay down to sleep, it was his chief desire to wake up to a new day in the wilderness. He did wake up and he said, he gave it the reason for it, for the Lord sustained me. That's that. But don't imagine, don't take it from that, that he went to sleep that night on the desert floor or wherever it was, praying, hoping and praying that the Lord would wake him up the next day. It, 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 of course, it all depends on the Lord's purposes, doesn't it? If you're a Christian, you ought to know that. Each new day, if the Lord grants you a new day, it's a new day, new opportunities to serve him, to glorify him. It's up to God, isn't it? And when we look at other scriptures, we can see that it wasn't David's chief desire to wake up to a new day. Just turn over the pages to another one of David's Psalms, Psalm 17. Keep your finger in Psalm 2. Turn over to Psalm 17 and you'll see what I mean. Look at the last verse there in Psalm 17. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. In the Bible, death for the Lord's people is spoken of as sleep, such as in Psalm 17 and verse 15. David was saying that his desires would be well and truly fulfilled when the Lord would wake him, but he wasn't talking about being woken up after a good night's sleep. That's not how I take the meaning of Psalm 17 and verse 15. When I awake with thy likeness, that's when David will be satisfied. He shall be satisfied. He wasn't talking about the good night's sleep. He was talking about being woken up from the sleep of death and entering into the glory of his great God and Saviour who had been to him a shield when he was in the world. And I've already mentioned Psalm 23 tonight. Going back to Psalm 23 again in verse 4, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Ever thought about what that verse might mean? Undoubtedly, 
that can be seen as a picture of the Christian pilgrimage as the sheep closely follow the shepherd and trust in the shepherd's protective care when they walk through that inhospitable valley with the huge grey mountains either side of the valley and the boulders falling down those mountains, those boulders which could so easily uh, kill the sheep or there, or else there could be wild animals that somehow uh, enter into the valley and find them. And those sheep, they're continuously depending on the protective care of the shepherd as they walk through that valley of the shadow of death. And they fear no evil because they're following their shepherd. So too do Christians follow the Lord Jesus Christ and they trust in him to sustain them and care for them as they pass through an inhospitable and Christ-hating world and they contend with besetting sin and the fiery darts of Satan. Well, yes, you can look at Psalm 23 and verse 4 that way and as you go on your pilgrimage, a very, very difficult pilgrimage, through the valley of the shadow of death, you look to Jesus to protect you. But also, dying and death are spoken of in Psalm 23 and verse 4. For example, the author William H. Ridgway would pick berries with his friends when he was a boy. After filling their baskets, they would wait beside a railroad track. As the sun began to set, a train would come by and it would run them over. The iron monster, with its thundering noise and screaming whistle, didn't really run them over, just its shadow did. That's a picture of what it is to die as a Christian. It's nothing more than a shadow. And because dying and death, whether in your sleep or at the hands of wicked men, is nothing more than a shadow, the Apostle Paul was able to say, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Without any shadow of a doubt, for King David and the Apostle Paul, death was nothing more than a shadow. It was their entrance into the presence of their Lord who most certainly did not have the luxury of dying in his sleep. Instead, he died on a bloodstained wooden cross, bearing away their sins and the sins of all his redeemed. If you belong to Jesus, you do well to recognise that you didn't just wake up because of that pesky alarm or because the baby was crying, or the noisy neighbours, or whatever, but because the Lord sustained you, just as the Lord sustained David in Psalm 3 and verse 5. That in turn should be an encouragement to you to prayerfully seek to do his will as he continues to sustain you day after day and to enable you by his grace throughout each new day until such time he comes again or until such time you die and wake up in his presence with his likeness.
Let's have a look at verse 6. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Brave words proceeded from David's mouth in verse 6. And we have no reason to think that he didn't really mean what he said and that he was actually exaggerating. With the Lord as his shield, for him and about him, and with the Lord sustaining him, what reason would David have to fear his enemies? No matter how many of them there were, even 10,000 of them, why would David fear them? No reason at all. Even as a youth, David was fearless, as can be seen when he killed the giant Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 24, it is written that all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, they fled from him and were sore afraid. Couldn't you imagine that? All those fighting men, the, the army of Israel, they were all sore afraid of the giant. However, David, who had been sent by his father to the battle with some food for his brothers who were in the army, he was different to everyone else. If he was scared, he certainly didn't show it. After declining the king's offer of armour, he slew the giant with a well-aimed pebble to the forehead. After saying to him, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Also David said to Goliath, All this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Those words of David say it all, don't they? He had no fear. Why was that? Because he was trusting in the Lord, whose battle it was. And so he said in verse 6, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. There is only one who you really ought to fear, and that is Almighty God. Fear God, who is a consuming fire. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't have a casual and dismissive attitude towards your maker, whom you will give an account to when you die. Some of you in here, you can continue to be as rebellious as you dare. But if you die in your sins, and remember, David woke up the next day because the Lord sustained him. No other reason than that. Do not take it for granted that you will wake up tomorrow. And if you were to die in your sins, the day will come when you will be thrust into the winepress of God's wrath. 
far better to get off your high horse now and get on your knees as you pray for mercy and as you plead nothing but the blood of Jesus. Believing that Jesus has appeased the wrath of God at the cross and with his own precious blood. As for all of you who already know God as your loving Heavenly Father, having trusted in Jesus for your salvation and trusted in Jesus for everlasting life, praise God for that Calvary love towards you. And fear him. For God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all who are around him. Feared in the assembly of the saints. That means that God is to be feared in the church. God is to be feared by Christians. Do you fear God? God who loved you. God who sent his son into the world to lay down his life for you. God who is holy. The same God whom the angels in heaven cover their faces in his presence. Do you fear him? Do I fear him? Therefore, finally, dear Christian, although God is most certainly a shield for you, God is your glory, God is the lifter up of your head, God is your sustainer, even so I say, From the word of God, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen.